host and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind, the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Amen. God's word. It is a common experience for Christians to endure trials, tribulations, afflictions, difficult uh, difficulties of various types. I want to speak to you tonight about facing trials. The message tonight to you is to consider Christ when you face trials. And I want to develop this idea of trial a little bit. I, I know of a lady in my presbytery out in, in the Pacific. And we were talking one day uh, at her church building, fellowshipping, and I asked her how she was doing. And she said, I'm okay, which means she's not okay. And she was fired from her job. We talked about it. And she had a she was a saleswoman in her company. She had been in that company for many years, 12, 15 years. She grew in her faith and in her own conviction, according to what was going on in her her situation. She did not feel comfortable selling uh, this article of clothing and some of these paraphernalia that her company was making. So she told her boss that, listen, I, I like work, working for you. I, I don't have a problem with the company per se. Would, would you find another place for me to work? But business is business. And the world doesn't really care about Christ's laws and the conviction and the conscience of Christians. So she was fired. She was unemployed. Her, her husband at the time was unemployed as well. She was worried. A trial. As a guest preacher, uh, one of the, um, I suppose it's a um, benefit or something to that effect. I don't know what's going on in this church. I have great liberty to, to talk to you tonight because I'm not picking on anyone. I'm not... Um, Pastor Miller didn't ask me to preach on this passage of scripture, and I'm speaking um, as someone who's like you. Uh, I've gone through a fair of trials, and I wanted to, to to reflect on this passage of scripture, and for my own good, in some sense, uh, certainly. But if you're like me, and, and every congregation has is, is, is got similarities, uh, then this congregation is facing trials. As a congregation, there are, there are trials. Uh, your pastor prayed about growth. Uh, you, in this city, there, the other churches are facing trials. Maybe apathy, spiritual apathy. I heard him pray about that. Perhaps there's trials in, in the families here. Maybe there's illnesses. Maybe it's not something so particular to being a Christian. Maybe it's just you're in a fallen world and you're dying and you're in pain. Even now as you sit in that chair. 
And what I want to ask you tonight is what are you thinking about? In this specifically in regard to this trial. Who are you looking to ultimately for help? For comfort, I want you to think about that right now. Who who are you uh, going to? Maybe something more general. How are you handling this trial? Are you in despair? Brother, sister in Christ, are you discouraged tonight? Because life is hard. Because the Christian life is hard. I want to speak to you on this. And my message tonight is this. When you face trials as a Christian, specifically, I want to speak to you as as Christians. That may sound kind of strange. We're in a church. But I specifically want to focus tonight on, on you who know the Lord. When you face trials as a Christian, consider Christ. That's my message tonight. When you face trials as a Christian, consider Christ. And to establish my theme a little bit from the passage of Scripture here, I, I was preaching in, in Fresno RP Church out in California through the book of Mark. And this is a particular passage that ministered to me. But in the context here, the disciples and Jesus are on a high point. Okay, the previous context. He has fed 5,000 men, which was probably 15 to 20,000 people. It was a spiritual high point. Ever been in a, on a spiritual high Maybe coming back from a church camp or something. Okay, they were having this spiritual high. They were their rabbi was really impressive. He had performed this miracle. And but the Christian life is not always on a mountaintop, is it? And they're going into a trial here. I've read the passage to you. I, I believe this storm represents to us and this this miracle Mark is recording a miracle of Christ. We're, we're, we know something. We, we learn something about our Savior in this passage of Scripture, but it's in the context of disciples who are physically separate from Christ. Christ doesn't seem to be with them, and they're going through a trial, a storm. The Scriptures use the image of a storm to represent trials. Isaiah fifty four eleven. O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. There's an image there. Those who are afflicted are tossed by a storm. Psalm 42. All your waves and your billows have come over me. And this is what I think is is something, uh, is the theme. Uh, J.C. Ryle, to to agree this is helpful, J.C. Ryle takes this as his theme. He says this, this, a miracle is an emblem of every Christian's experience between the first and second advent of Christ. They're without the physical presence of Christ. They're, in, they're facing trials. And so I want to speak to you on this theme. Four points tonight. Considering Christ. First, I want you to see from verse 45 to 47. I want you to consider his appointment to these trials. Once you consider the fact that Christ has appointed trials for you. Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. Immediately he 
made his disciples get into the boat. There's a sense here of, of some disagreement. Some translations, I believe it's the King James, says he, he constrained them. Listen, Jesus, we want to stay with you. You're kind of a big deal. We like hanging out with you. This is the coolest seminary in the world. You know, we're learning a lot of great stuff. No, Jesus wants them to go into this lake. Listen, we, we, I've read the, this passage. You know what happens. You've probably read this passage of Scripture before. Um, Jesus didn't just calm the storms. He brought, he brought the wave. He brought the wind, too. See, he, he, he's got an appointment for them. He's got a trial for them. When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ for a moment and, and, and your trials. See, we believe that Jesus Christ is, is the mediator. He controls all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1, 3. The trials in your life. Are appointed by Christ. Isaiah 45, verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Even the difficult things, even the calamities in life. That's another sermon. You know, think about. I realize I may be speaking to those who are facing very severe, painful trials. But I want you to think about it from the perspective is that God's in control. It's actually comforting. They're his waves. All your waves. Psalm 42. All your waves. All your your billows have come come over me. He he's appointed them. He's in control. Uh, 40 verse 45 through 47. I, I kind of jumping ahead perhaps a little bit, but. I do think this is the emphasis. He, he is making his disciples to get into the boat. He knows what's going to happen to them. He's going to go away and he's going to pray. These are the providential circumstances of their separation from them, uh, from each other. He's going to send the people away. He's going to go to a mountain and he's going to pray. Verse 47 emphasizes this. When he, evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. And real quick, I want to mention this kind of as a side point, really. This is a whole other sermon prayer. If Jesus, the God man, needed to pray, how much more do you and, and do I need to pray? If you're like me, you're tempted to, because you're so busy and you wake up, to not pray, to not go into your closet and, and seek the Lord's help. Some churches don't make prayer an issue in worship. Let's just sing and let's just preach, even. No, we pray. We need to pray. But these are more or less the providential circumstances of this trial. And he's appointed it. And this is something that I want you to think about. First, first Thessalonians chapter three. And I may go through some scripture. If you have your Bible, I invite you to go to these first Thessalonians three. I'm going to read four verses and and apply this a, a little bit more to us. First Thessalonians three, verse one. Therefore, When we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, 
and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. So you're in a trial. You're facing an affliction. And I want you to consider the fact that Christ has appointed this in your life. And, and, he, and he, there's something which he, he calls us to trials. You, you could be like me. Um, you could resist trials in your life. You could say, you know what, Lord, I really don't want to suffer. I would prefer not to suffer as a Christian. I know that I could share the gospel to that lady on a play date at the park. But it might be socially awkward for me. So I'm not going to do it. Listen, your pastor and, and, and myself, you know, we have certain contacts. If you're a, a lady with children at a park, there's specific people that God may be bringing into your life to share the gospel to them. It's going to be hard. People might reject you. People might reject you. Listen, I'm glad that Martin Luther considered his providential circumstances and said, I'm going to go through this trial. I know that I've been appointed for trials and I'm just going to step through this. I'm so glad that he did that. But we can resist trials. We can resist them. I want you to consider your providential circumstances. They're coming. Your best life is not now. We need to have proper expectations as Christians. Uh, I know that your pastor doesn't preach this. Some, some people in this city probably do. Become a Christian. Give to the, uh, in the offering. Okay? And your best life will be now. God will bless you physically. Earth, you know, with possessions and things. That's not true. Listen, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you turn to him and you trust him as your Savior. And he will, he will save you eternally. He'll forgive you of all of your sins. But your life in this world may be very difficult. Let me, let me move on here to an, another point. Our Savior is not ruthless. He has, a, he has an eye to our weaknesses. He hasn't just pointed these trials and commanded us like an officer in the army. He's also very merciful to us. And he cares about us in our weakness. And so I want you to consider first, uh, secondly, his mercy in trials. His mercy. Verse 48 through 50. Then he saw them straining at rowing. For the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer as I do not be afraid. What I want you to see here is, is his mercy. You're in a trial. And if you're like me, you're tempted to think Jesus has forgotten about you. Yes, I believe in Jesus. And yes, he's the mediator. And yes, he's the king on his throne. And he's ruling all things. But, you know, really, he I'm just, you know, I'm LaGrange and I'm not significant. And 
um, I'm just floundering. I'm, I'm drowning in trials. I don't know how good God really is. Jesus cares for you. He's merciful to you. Here's the thing. Jesus came to them. That's really the thrust here. And he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. By the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. He, he, he knew their weaknesses and their ignorance. They're without their savior. They're without their great rabbi. He does these miracles. And they're, and they're scared. And he, come, he, could have, he could have stayed on the mountain and just spoke like he did in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we already had this miracle, by the way. He's, he calmed the sea in Mark chapter 4. But he's, he's merciful. He's compassionate. I want you to think about the man, Jesus, from Nazareth. What do, you, what do you think he's like? He's merciful. My brethren, James says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard the uh, endurance of Job. And seen the intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He's a merciful Savior. He has an eye to their weakness. Uh, let, me, let me develop this a, a little bit um, from the text. He, it's the fourth watch of the night. They're tired. Uh, it's one thing to give birth. Ladies, you have given birth. It's one thing to give birth during the day. It's another thing to do it at night. You're already tired. Okay, they're the fourth watch of the night. They're, they're, they're weak. They're, they're, most of them are good fishermen, but they... There's a sense in which they're straining, they're, 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 they're um, fatigued. And he has an eye to this. He has an eye to their, their, their ignorance. Notice verse 49. Uh, excuse me, verse 48. Let me, let me say one other thing. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. I favor the, the translation of the ESV and the New American Standard. He's not. He intended for them to see him. For them to see him. He wanted them to see him. Now, we walk by faith and not by sight, but sometimes it helps. Okay, when we can kind of see how things are going to go. He has an eye to their weakness. He's merciful. That's what he's doing. Verse 49, when they saw him walking in the city, suppose it was a ghost. They cried out. What did he do? Oh, you ignorant disciples. Come on. Stop believing the movies. Right? No, he said, listen, you know, be of good cheer. I don't be afraid. Mothers, your kids cry out in the middle of the night. They're perfectly safe. What do you do? You don't rebuke them for that. I mean, you have compassion on them. Think about the man, Jesus. What's he like? He's merciful. A quick comment about ghosts. Um, what do we take of verse 49? I suppose it was a ghost. I think it's helpful sometimes as preachers to just teach on things that come up in the text. And real briefly, because, again, they're, they're ignorant to some degree, and, and we don't want to be ignorant. There's a certain sense in which I can say to you that there's no such thing as ghosts. Okay? The Bible teaches that when someone dies, their body goes to the grave, and their soul or their spirit go to either heaven or hell. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5 Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
But there's another sense which I can say to you that there is such thing as a ghost. There's demonic power in the world. I mentioned Job earlier. If you recall that story, Satan's at work. Okay, there's demonic power in Fresno. Okay, there's demonic power in LaGrange. There is wickedness. Okay, Deuteronomy 18. And so ghosts wouldn't be the spirits of dead people, but they could be uh, demonic manifestations of power. Deuteronomy 18. Read a few verses real quick to that effect. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. One who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer. or One who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead for all who do these things. Are an abomination to the Lord and because of these abominations, the Lord, your God drives them out from before you. Listen to these next two, two verses. You shall be blameless before the Lord, your God. For these nations, nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. My point in reading Deuteronomy 18 is that they're real. There is such a thing as demonic power. Just stay away from it. Don't listen to it. Don't explore it. Don't get intrigued by it. Don't um, listen to, to the prophet here in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus, which is ultimately Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Put your trust in him. And that's. What I want you to think about, uh, kids, maybe maybe you you young folks get scared at night and you've watched a movie or two that maybe you shouldn't have watched, but you did. And you're wondering, you know, well, I want you to think about these things. But my main point is the mercy of Christ. He knows their weakness. He comforts them. He comes out to them. And that's what I want you to think about. You can despair in your trial. Christ has forgotten me. He's not really a good savior. I don't deserve this. We deserve a lot worse than what we've we've received. He is a good God. Are you angry with God? Are you angry with the Lord Jesus Christ because of this trial, loss of a loved one, miscarriage? I don't know what's going on in this congregation. Those things happen. Those things happen. But Christ is merciful. He, he sees you. Verse 48, then he saw them. I, I kind of skipped over that earlier. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. And he loves you. And he cares for you. Consider his mercy. Now, if Jesus was only merciful and didn't actually have the power to help us, Jesus wouldn't be Jesus, would he? But he has power to save us, power to help us, power to deliver us. And I want you to see that uh, in verse 51. So thirdly, you're going through trials and I want you to consider not just appoint his appointment to these trials, not just his mercy to you. In these trials, but his power over trials. And I love this point. His power over trials. Verse 
51. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased. The wind ceased. And I commend to you that what's going on here is Jesus is controlling the wind. Okay, he stopped the wind. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He doesn't even have to do that here. He just thinks it. That's what's going on. But, but, but let's back up for a moment. I, t- I talked to you about how he saw them in verse 48. Then he saw them. Listen, the other gospel accounts, I don't think it's important for you to go there. I, I believe it's in Matthew. But Matthew says that they're three or four miles into the sea. Okay, it's nighttime. He's on top of the mountain. This is his divine power coming forth. We believe that the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal son of God, became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures. One person forever. And one of the reasons why we teach our kids this catechism and we believe this catechism is because of this passage of scripture. He's not just a man. He's the God man. And he, he saw them and he, he walked on the water. Can't, can't, can't miss that. Power. Listen, what was a difficulty to them and what was a trial to them and what was life-threatening to them, Jesus overcome. He, he overcame. He just, you know, listen, if Peter and those other guys could walk on the sea, then why would they be all, you know, Upset. And that's the sense here. They're afraid. They're, they're tired. Hey, if you get tired, don't worry about it. We'll just walk on the sea and walk back to Bethsaida. No. They were weak. And you're weak. Aren't you? Jesus is not weak. He's powerful. He's very powerful. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus said that. When you pray, Christ taught us to pray. The Lord Jesus is our mediator. He's the second person in the Trinity. We pray to the Lord God and we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power. And your Savior has power over your trial. And what he does is when he saves his people, is he takes them Close to himself. The father takes us because of Christ as our as, as sons and daughters. He, he forgives us of all of our sin. He gives us his spirit. And by his spirit, we wage war. We fight the devil. We fight temptation. We maintain our faith in trials by his spirit. Ephesians six. The armor of God passage. Begins with, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So think about your trial for a moment. Some of you are overwhelmed with grief. You may be. I don't know. Some of you may be overwhelmed with grief. You feel like you can't go anymore. I don't know what you're facing. Some of you may be very um, depressed. 
at, at, at what's going on in LaGrange or in this country. You know, the church doesn't seem to be all that powerful. As we, we heard in our prayer tonight, but it's, it's a fact that if the churches are even open tonight, they're half full and most of them aren't open. We can be discouraged. Is Christ on his throne? We can be we can we can be depressed. We can uh, we can see our sin. What sins are you facing that are that have been around for a long time? That the devil comes up to you and he gives you the Nike motto. Just do it. Pornography, bitterness, drunkenness, addictions, anger. And you, you're a Christian and you're like sick of these sins and you like feel so powerful in your life. And the devil's temptations are so strong. And yes, the devil does tempt you, by the way. The power of Christ. My grace is sufficient for you, he told Paul. My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You're going through your life here in LaGrange and you may not feel a great, great sense of power, but the Lord Jesus Christ has promised you that his grace would be sufficient for you. Just keep obeying him and depend upon him. Who who is in you? Are you not the temple of the Holy Spirit? How encouraging is it? Listen, that's the gospel to justified Christians. You're justified once. You're forgiven your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you're still in the fallen world and you're still tempted. But Christ is with you. You want, you want to grow. And I'm actually encouraged. I, I see chairs in the back and it's great. Y'all need a new building. It's wonderful. It seems, seems to be the case. I, I don't know for certain I haven't talked to your pastor. But, but listen, I mean, we want to see... We want to see three times as much growth. We want to, we want to plant a church in Lynette, don't we? I mean, let's do it, Right? We need power. We need the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit. We might not be praying. I don't know if you'll have a prayer meeting. But I hope you do. In the book of Acts, the church is praying. And people are getting converted. They're getting snatched out of the kingdom of darkness. Y'all believe in preaching here. It's good. You have two services, two preaching services. Two, two preaching services. These are means. Come and listen to preaching. It's, the, it's foolishness. But to those who believe it's the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. Verse 22. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You face really smart people in LaGrange, like, like anywhere else. They're too smart for God. Just share the gospel to them. You don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to be an apologist. The spirit makes that effectual to his elect. Just witness. Be that lady on a, a play date at the park that just. Give us a testimony. Listen, the woman at the well just told the, the people in Samaria all that, that Jesus did for, them, for her. And the whole city was more or less converted. This is the power of God. This is the power that he's given us by his spirit. And this is what we look to when we face different trials. This is what we need to consider. We, we don't have the power. 
I get excited about preaching because um, the Lord has given his spirit to his church. He's ordained certain men to preach. The Holy Spirit blesses preaching and things happen. God's people are sanctified. People are converted. We need to get excited about those things. We need to look to Christ. We need to consider Christ's power. Fourthly, and this is probably the, uh, I, I like this point as well. I mean, this message, I say this, uh, I hope I say this humbly, is really ministered to me. This point's really encouraging. Because here's the thing. Sometimes, as Christians, when we face trials, we just want to know why. Uh, why? Why did my wife miscarry? Uh, my wife did not miscarry, but these are the questions that people face, right? Um, why did my spouse die? Why am I going through a divorce? What are you doing, Lord? Maybe you're not doubting really his mercy or his power. You're a Christian. You've, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've been a Christian for a long time, and you're just really struggling with why. And there's a certain sense, which I'm not going to speak fully to that. There's, there's one thing in this passage of Scripture that speaks to that. I'm going I'm to give that one reason. And it's found at the very end of verse 51 through verse 52. So, fourthly, his reason for trial. His reason for trials. Second part of verse 51. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. In this case, the reason for this trial was Jesus is not just merciful, he's not just powerful. Mark is not just presenting to us our Savior, but... Jesus is also preparing his disciples to be the leaders of the church when he ascends into heaven. And they're not quite there yet. Their faith is very weak. I believe they had faith. The other gospel accounts have Peter walking on the water and he kind of stumbles and Jesus saves him. If you recall that story, that same passage talks about how they prostrated themselves and they worshiped him. They have faith. Fundamentally, I believe, but they're weak. And here's what I mean by that. Should they have been so amazed? The text, the text brings that out. They were greatly amazed in themselves. There's emphasis there, at least in two ways. Not just amazed, but greatly amazed. In themselves, there's emphasis again. Beyond measure, in case we were doubting. And marvel. What's the difference between marveling and being amazed? I mean, there's emphasis here. They were really astounded. A few days ago, a few weeks ago, we, we were in Sedona, Arizona. It's a beautiful place. You have the opportunity to check it out. Go on hikes. It's really pretty. But if you go to the Grand Canyon, whoa, there's, there's a drop, you know, a jaw dropper there, right? It's amazing. They were just, wow. But they should not have been. Now, if, if we were to see Jesus okay, in the flesh, then, then, well, you know, but he had already done this in Mark chapter four. What did he just do? He fed probably 15, 20,000 people. Why, why were they so amazed that he was walking? Why did they think it was a ghost? They're not thinking. They're, the text says that. So they had not understood about the loaves. I, can, I prefer the King James translation. They did not consider the miracle of the loaves. They're not really... They're, they're kind of just apathetic about who this guy is. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the prophet, priest, and king who's come to save the world. Why are you so 
You're surprised. Where's your faith? They were apathetic. They were just, they were not really into this. They were excited that they were in the best seminary in the world. They hadn't thought about who, their, who this man was. And here's the thing. Jesus Christ appointed this for them. For this reason. Do you not grow through trials? Listen. I know your pastor and your elders want you to read your Bible. Every day. It's a very good discipline. They want you to keep the Lord's day. They want you to come to the evening service and hear preaching twice. Because preaching is a means of grace and you grow. But oftentimes, and I know this from personal experience, God, specifically our mediator, has us as our pastor go through trials. It was good for me, the psalmist says. It was good for me that I was afflicted. That I might learn your statutes. Let me just tell you a, a brief story about myself. I was in the army for six years before I went to seminary at Greenville. And I was a ranger regiment platoon leader. It was a dream job for me. We were going to get in the helicopters. We were going to go to Afghanistan. We were going to pull triggers. And the short story is I was removed from my position for lack of competence. And it was embarrassing. I was embarrassed. I'm glad that happened. Because in my case, I had an idol. And that idol was me in my career. Being a Ranger Regiment platoon leader is, is pretty sexy. Pretty prestigious. And I was eating it up. And that is a terrible thing for a pastor to have. Pride. And I knew pride was a sin. But I didn't really know. Christ, as my pastor, brought me through that trial. And here's the thing. Some of you may not be listening. And if you're not currently in a trial, then for your own good, Christ, your pastor, is going to bring you through a trial. Some of you may not be listening to Pastor Miller's preaching. I don't know. Because he loves you. He's going to shake your life up. You need to consider that. I want you to stop and think about your trial. Are you making good use of it? Do you, have you thought about this? And I, and I say that with tears in my eyes. because I don't, I don't know exactly what you're facing. But I want you to think about it. We learn a lot through trials. We learn that we're bitter. We learn we're not, we're not thankful. We realize that we don't really pray. We learn to pray in trials. We learn to be people of prayer through trials. There's so many things that we learn. And I want you to think about that. Consider his reason for trials. Break up, Jeremiah says, break up your fallow ground. Pay attention. What's the Lord doing in your life? Pay attention to providence. And ask him, Lord, teach me. I'm going to just humble myself under your mighty hand. I'm just going to 
just going to submit to you. There's one thing I know about all of you. Dear brothers and sisters, God wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants to sanctify you. This is what we need to consider. There's there's other things to say about why bad things happen to us, why difficult things happen to us. And I don't know all the answers, but this is one thing. Jesus knows what he's doing. So when you are facing various trials as a Christian, consider Christ. Consider Christ. And again, I say to you, I want to say two things as I as I finish. Um, Just briefly, two things. Again, first. What are you considering? Who are you considering in this trial? And who are you? Maybe some of you are are, are on a high, high peak, but they're coming. Who are you going to seek? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to depend upon? Is it the mercy of Christ that is a good, good mediator and a good savior? Is his power? I want to say, secondly, I want to speak to you here who may not be a Christian. And you may even know that perhaps you're visiting. You're not a member here. And and I've been speaking to you tonight as Christians, but I want to speak to you as those who, who, who aren't a Christian. And I want to tell you that the greatest trial of all is to face a holy God on the last day. And you need to consider Christ. In another sense, you're like me, you're a sinner and you're guilty. You're outside of Christ. And you need a mediator. You will stand for the judgment seat of Christ and you will give an account of your life, whether it be good or evil. And because you're not a Christian, because you're not in Christ and he's not your righteousness, then it's going to be evil. But consider Christ because you're not there yet. And you haven't died. You haven't faced that trial. And even now, even tonight, you can consider Christ. You can take him as he is, as Savior and as Lord, as a merciful Savior. You can come to him. You can believe in him. You can trust him. And he will save you. And that's what you need to do. You need to consider Christ. You need to to believe in him. He has said to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Consider Christ, brethren. Let us pray.